tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Moss Beach Ghosts? Civil War Ghosts? She Sold Babies? And Bus Stop Amnesia. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Starting out strong there. Very good. I'm glad you were able to recall your own name. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, Hopefully this does not uh, allude to what the rest of this episode is going to be like. So, Crystal, (laughs) to to distract from my embarrassing lack of recognition of who I am, you said before Mm -hmm. we started recording, you had something to talk about. Oh yeah, I do. I have a I have a uh, crystal uh, movie recommendation that I thought would be of interest to um, our listeners if they haven't already seen it. That is, it came out I don't know a week or two ago. Godzilla versus Kong. Okay, okay, it's a, a bit of a strange <laughs> tie-in, but I'm 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 with you. <laughs> um, I did see the first half of Godzilla versus Kong, but then I fell asleep. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't get too far into that. But no, the one that I watched, it's actually a limited series documentary. So it's not really a movie, but it works out to about a three hour documentary. Okay. Um, And it's on Hulu right now. So if you guys have Hulu, I recommend checking it out. It's called Sasquatch. Ooh. Yeah. So it is uh, one part uh, supernatural. Uh sort of you know bigfoot you know they call them squatchers up there the people who try and find bigfoot oh i was not aware of that that's that's neat that's neat yeah they're called squatchers Squatchers. so it's you know one part is sort of an exploration of that culture um the documentary takes place in the emerald triangle up in northern california which is a heavily wooded area of like Humboldt and Mendocino counties. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, where a lot of folks claim to see Bigfoot, um, mm. a- along with Oregon and other parts of the Pacific Northwest and nice. Idaho. There's actually like a, prof- I learned from the documentary, there's like a professor in Idaho that's like, it's not that I believe Bigfoot exists. It's just the evidence is overwhelming. It's like, okay. Is it? Um, okay. Okay. So, um, so that's kind of, I don't want to give too much away, but there, we basically, during the documentary, follow this gonzo journalist type who in the 90s uh, claims that he was trimming, they also grow pot up in that part of California. That he was in yeah. the uh, pot trimming trade for a moment, and one night he heard, overheard that a very frightened young man come in and tell the farmer that he was working for that Bigfoot had killed three guys and ripped up a bunch of their pot plants. So that's where we start. My God, yeah. I, I didn't realize that Bigfoot was such a square man. Yeah, he's a total narc. Was 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 he wearing yeah. like a uh, like a well, no, I suppose with this fur, maybe you could just like put the just put the needle through the, the thick mats of fur. I was going to ask if he was wearing a Richard Nixon mm-hmm. button while he was uh, doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Damn hippies. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we well, we don't know. And I guess you would have to watch the documentary to find out. Okay. So it's a really interesting dive into that culture and also the marijuana trade and also um 
it's a it's ostensibly a true crime story and it's really well done so i know there was a kind of like mixed feelings about it online it's like people started like oh this is stupid and i disagree i actually think it um it gets into also as well sort of it's not very pro police i'll say that it's very anti-dea okay uh and it also gives sort of a a window into some of the migrant workers that come up from Mexico to trim uh, pot and be in that business and, and, and attempts a little bit to give them, you know, a little more humanity in that situation. So it's actually pretty laden with a lot of like sociopolitical things, but it's also a deep sort of dark dive into that world up in Humboldt and uh, Mendocino counties of growing pot and, so and squatchers. So is I mean, is so this is this more about a, a documentary about Northern California than it is about Sas, uh, Bigfoot or? Um, it. I can't say any more than that. I think people should watch it. Wow. Okay. Uh, making it a mystery. All right. All right. Sounds uh, yeah, because there's a lot of there's a lot of twists and turns. So I don't want to say it's about one thing or another, but the there's the highlights are like you get to know the people who look for Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, and yeah, you get to know the yeah. people who grow pot up in that area, and you get to know mm. kind of um you know one of the migrant workers up there as well and so um the sort of miss the first mystery that is being solved is did were there a bunch of guys that were even killed and did bigfoot do it so that's sort of the central question i see of of the documentary so it is true crime but it's also a little paranormal and it's also kind of like counterculture um but it's uh, it ends up being pretty fucking dark. So, you know, you think you're going to watch a silly little thing about Bigfoot and it ends up going somewhere very different. Anyway, I just thought oh that God. would be of interest yeah. to our audience who probably likes to uh, kiss Bigfoot, but also likes true crime stuff. OK, yeah, I, I, I guess that's, uh, um, you know, if you're an Unsolved Mysteries fan, that's a it's uh it's it's a film or documentary rather that just you know takes those two strands and it wraps them together so you you, you get you get both mm-hmm. the you, you get both twix bars in your in your package yeah okay you do you really do with this one and i i thought it was really well done and had a very compassionate view of of folks mm. you know it was very non-judgmental mm. i'll say that and it could have been very snarky, and it wasn't. So, um, yeah. So there's that, uh, Robbie. Now listen, we are recording this. I think it's May third today. And um, how many weeks into Great Lent now are you? Uh, shit. How many weeks is? <laughs> has it been um because all of april and then i started in Mm mid-march so like six give or take wow and it just uh just ended yesterday okay wow so how do you feel 
now. So that was, that was what it was two months or six weeks, was it? Yeah, of, yeah, uh, yeah, basically like like a month and a half. Of it was no meat, no dairy, no olive oil, no, no fish, but shrimp was okay. Yes, yes, and, and no poultry. Uh, so I mean, yeah. essentially, it was like it, it was it was essentially vegan plus olive oil. Mm-hmm. Plus, yeah, plus the addition of shrimp and the subtraction of olive oil. Yeah, you know, I feel like I was a lot, I spent a lot more time thinking about my my friend with cancer. And mm-hmm. so, and that was kind of really the main point of me embarking upon all that. So I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time, mm-hmm. uh, spent a lot of evenings where I just lit a candle and thought about her and so well, that's nice yeah because it's kind of easy for me to just like because my natural tendency is to just seal myself self away from all humanity <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know the outside world just goes on and uh well i'm like living my recluse uh life i found i found out about her diagnosis not too long before great lent was going to start so i was like i'm gonna uh, and then uh, the incense burner I ordered from Greece, uh, the ship ship it was mm. traveling in, finally arrived. And so I was able to... Oh, did it get caught up in the Suez? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, okay. if it was... Go- <laughs> I That was a thought yeah. that was on that my was mind. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it, it kind of like, when I ordered it, it, it said the, the, the arrival window was like anywhere from early April to late April. So mm-hmm. it arrived mid-April, so I'm like, mm, it probably it probably just shipped from Greece because the they were they were made uh they it was made in a monastery in in Greece oh. yeah wow yeah and it's uh, very authentic right I'm assuming it shipped directly from Greece to the to the U S so uh, it probably bypassed all that Suez nonsense but um. Yeah, it arrived, and I got to burn a lot of uh, frankincense yesterday when when Great Lent ended. I'm glad I did it, uh, and then I and I've been eating a lot of meat and yogurt <laughs> since. <laughs> <laughs> Does and has it is it making you feel sick since you were off of it for so long? I don't think so. I feel fine. All right. I, too, I too have been trying to eat less animal product, but it's mostly because um, I had an incident with dairy that really scared me oh. <laughs> recently. <laughs> so I think I just need to acknowledge the lactose intolerance and adjust my life accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But all that said, I had a McDouble today. So. Mm, a McDouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was great and disgusting at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I I want, I want to eat at a fast food place, and mm-hmm. currently I'm I'm leaning towards going to Wendy's and doing the four for four, the good mm. old the good old four for four. Great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, you could even get yourself a little frosty wanted yeah you know the, as, a, as a treat i i think uh, i think i'm gonna do that too you know robbie i was thinking uh about this episode of unsolved mysteries mm-hmm. we're about to discuss and a uh the first location 
in this episode is someplace that I would like to go have some fries and a cold drink, I think. Yeah, when when that when the first segment started, my my mind was like, "Is this near Los Angeles?" I was I was suddenly like, "Oh man, that'd be so awesome! We could go down there as an official rump activity." <laughs> uh, but then I looked it looked it up, and it looks like it's a lot yeah. closer to San Francisco. It's, it is a lot closer to San Francisco. So this is uh, what is a season five of Unsolved Mysteries. This is going to be episode seven. I believe so. Yeah. Episode seven. Let's let's do it. This is as Robert Stack very casually lets us know. This is a, you know what? Fuck it. It's close enough to Halloween. Let's talk about ghosts episode. <laughs> That's and, basically uh, yeah the the raison d'etre of this. Episode. Yeah, he's just like uh, we're uh, we're kind of towards the end of October. Let's just throw a couple of ghosties uh, segments in here. So the first segment is a spooky haunting. And it is at the Moss Beach Distillery in uh, Moss Beach, California, which is pretty close to Half Moon Bay. So it's on, it's, it's a lovely little 1920s era bar and grill just perched above the ocean. Um, and that is slightly, it's Half Moon Bay is probably, I don't know, about 45 minutes south of San Francisco. Yeah. And the story goes that when it was built in the 1920s, it was a speakeasy. And so it was very, it had the beach below it, you see. So if people were coming with their shipments of Canadian whiskey and gin and whatever else during Prohibition, they could pull up on the beach and unload and, you know, jam up to the distillery there and, um, I think it was called Frank's. I'm going to say it was called Frank's something back in the 20s. It wasn't always Moss Beach Distillery. It's called something else. Frank's Roadhouse. <laughs> yes. Roadhouse. We'll go with that. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, there's the reason we're talking about this is because there's a lot of stories that have been swirling around throughout the years um, about various ghostly figures and happenings that have been going on at... Uh, uh, Moss Beach Distillery named Frank's Roadhouse. So we get two stories, sort of. This is a pretty long segment, honestly, for haunting. Yeah. But uh, the first one is a reenactment of a real jazzy time <laughs> in the Roadhouse, and there's. I like I like how the the alcohol they're smuggling in is in cases marked Canadian whiskey, <laughs> a real yeah. nondescript way to hide that alcohol. Yeah, it didn't even have like the triple X's or whatever on the box. It was just Canadian whiskey, which makes me think that like some some PA had to run down to the liquor store and just get like a cardboard box of like you know Crown Royal or whatever. Um, so. They're uh, serving up drinks in a good time. And then there's this lady, this pretty lady who looks like a flapper sitting at the bar. And she's making all these eye movements <laughs> at the piano player. <laughs> and I guess the story goes that uh, the piano player was having an affair with the lady because the lady was married to a bootlegger. Um, and then they had this code with their eyebrows or something that they were doing. Uh, it was just, there was like a lot of eyebrow 
raises across the room <laughs> in the reenactment. Um, and so then I guess uh, some sometime in 1927, the lady raised her sexual eyebrow and uh, her lover knew to meet her down on the beach. Mm. And then, uh, you know, they were going to make sweet, sweet love. But then the woman's husband. Apparently within visual range of the rove guys carrying the the yeah well it doesn't seem that private yeah know? yeah i mean i i guess this is obviously you know that they they have constraints on what they uh on the time and how much they can put into shooting this so they mm-hmm. it would have been you know realistically these two were probably a little ways away down the beach where they could be alone i was incredulous that mm-hmm. like they would just start making out in front of all of the henchmen of the bootleg husband, mm-hmm. bootlegger husband. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure some of those guys are like, yeah, true love. But then like someone's gonna, someone's gonna tell the boss. And I mean, obviously, but like I said, you know, unsolved mysteries doesn't have infinite time to shoot these things. If they did, I would have yeah. recommended that they have a scene where it's just the piano player. And the wife alone in the bar where like mm-hmm. he's playing the piano and she comes and sits down next to him and, you know, they're looking at each other and it's like, he's play you know, the, in the, in the class, in that classic cliche of like, you know, he's playing the piano for her and they're like looking at each other sort of thing. But, um, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, so they they're they're smooching in front of the whole gang and then the boss comes down <laughs> to the yeah. beach where, the, where uh, is she where's my wife and uh the boss uh pulled a gun or a knife or something i guess the lover pulled the knife and the boss pulled the gun the woman threw herself in between the two and was stabbed to death by her lover as he lunged for her husband and so this is the origin story, apparently, of the Blue Lady. Um, or it's mm. one of the origin stories of one of the Blue Ladies, because, like, holy shit, this restaurant is so has so many ghosts. Yeah, like, and people, people like, the real people they interview in this segment, I mean, they're having trouble distinguishing between the ghosts, and uh, even Unsolved Mysteries is, like, try, you know, trying to, like, shift, mm-hmm. si- sift through all of this. Yeah, so so that's on that. Um, there's also some interspersed things where like employees say they feel a breeze blowing through the dining room, even when all the windows are shut. I mean, okay, like drafts don't exist, but whatever. And that some like the blue lady's like throwing checkbooks around, just tossing stuff, and that she like slaps people's bottoms when they're standing at the bar. I miss that. Huh. Yeah. Uh, just slap their butts. And anyway, okay, so that's that ghost. And then I guess some kids say they saw the blue lady, but she was, like, sadder. Then this housekeeper, uh, who's one of the employees, claims that she met the same spirit. And she definitely, like, was not a flapper that she saw. So, um, here, so Consuelo is the housekeeper that sees the blue lady or some other ghost i don't know and then but she's but like the way unsolved mysteries introduces it they're like oh consuelo first saw her uh one night when she was sick and with a cold and had a fever so consuelo's eyewitness account 
totally reliable at this point, I think. What? No way she was just having a fever dream, right? <laughs> like oh, that's that's uh uh yeah, I didn't even look I I didn't even think about that, but the that was probably because when I was watching the segment, I was more distracted by because in the reenactment, when the ghost appears and mm-hmm. starts talking to her, Consuelo, mm-hmm. like, in the reenactment, seems totally undisturbed that a ghost has just materialized in her room. And she's just, like, mm-hmm. answering her questions, like, no, no, yes, yes, no. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you're taking, she's taking uh, having a ghost in her room a lot, lot more stoic, in a lot more stoic fashion than I would. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, when I had a ghost in my room at the end of my bed, I screamed real loud, and then I hid under my blankets. So, yeah, I was probably I would probably not be that chill about this. <laughs> um, the second time Consuelo fin- sees this lady, who again we're confused as if this is supposed to be the same blue lady as from the flapper story, but. Um, Consuelo was getting out of the shower. Now, this is really weird because Consuelo is in the reenactment. And she, for some reason in the reenactment, they have the shower head on. And then they show, they don't show her like naked body or anything, obviously, but like the shower head turns off. And then Consuelo's mm-hmm. like all wet and stepping out of the bathtub only to see the ghost again and this time the ghost says you know her name is alma reed and she's looking for some music um and then when all wet consuelo's like oh i remember something about alma reed and some music um and then I guess Consuelo like knew something like some famous Mexican musician had given her dad this piece of music that was about Alma Reed or something. Uh, and then Consuelo starts riffing on this whole situation, saying that Alma Reed and Ricardo Palmerin were were lovers, but Alma was already married to another man. She fell in love with Ricardo. And then so in 1927, which is the same year, apparently this blue lady thing happened. Alma walked into the sea. And so that's who they think the kids saw and that's who Consuelo saw. I think Consuelo was probably on some very good cold medicine. Okay. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> um, but we're not done because enter in 1992. So probably the year before this was filmed. Um, have you ever heard of Sylvia Brown, the psychic? The name sounds vaguely familiar. I mean, she was the psychic. She was it. Okay. Okay. So she has deigned to come to Moss Beach Distillery. And guess what? They're going to have a freaking seance. Buckle up, everybody. And so Sylvia offers yet another idea idea about the identity of the blue lady. And she comes to the restaurant. This is all filmed. They filmed the seance. So this this is not a reenactment part. They're just showing the seance uh, for what's going, what really happened. And Sylvia is talking about there's like a Marianne or Mary Ellen Morley. And she's saying, you know, the ghost is wearing blue and she and the and the ghost had been crushed to death and her like chest and head. Um, And so 
then we snap over to a couple of intrepid employees of the Moss Beach Distillery, and they're like, you know what, we're getting the bottom of this shit. So they go down to the San Mateo County Vital Statistics Office, and they start going through the newspapers. Sure enough, between 1910 and 1930, they discovered that a Mary Ellen Morley had actually existed. And interestingly, her maiden name was Reed, and she had a sister named Alma. And even more interesting than that was that uh, it was discovered in the newspaper accounts of Mary Ellen's death. So apparently Mary Ellen um, had was driving around or something. She lived in Redwood City, which is like 15 miles away from Moss Beach. That's not that close. But, but anyway, yeah. um, she'd gone to her mother's grave and then... Returning home, uh, her husband at the time lost control of the car, and then Mary Ellen died in the car wreck. And um, anyway, so Mary Ellen died, whatever. That really happened. Okay. There mm-hmm. was a woman named Mary Ellen Morley who actually died in a car wreck in uh, 1919 in Redwood City, which is 15 miles away from Moss Beach Distillery. <laughs> So for whatever reason, um, you know, Mary Ellen decided to haunt this restaurant. And then Sylvia Brown says she said there was like a, like a shit ton of other ghosts there. Um, yeah. And then Sylvia's parting words said, you know, Mary Ellen said that there would soon be a fire at the restaurant. Because not only is she a ghost, she's a psychic ghost. And then four <laughs> days, four days later, get this shit. There was a fire in the restaurant. And every one of the employees or the former owners that they interview from Moss Beach Distillery is convinced that that place is haunted by the Blue Lady or some combination of other spirits. Mm, yes, yes. Yeah, like this uh, This was an interesting segment with this confluence of ghosts and apparently psychic ghosts. And mm-hmm. uh, then they... they I, I didn't even... Uh, I didn't even realize that the psychic psychic they brought in was such a heavy hitter. Yeah. This, the segment, what it did have a kind of uh, this fun, like, cause it wasn't, you know, these aren't scary ghosts. I mean, if no, it, they're silly. The ghosts only time, or sad the, the only time, yeah. I mean, the only, the only time they try to be scary is to try to scare the kids off the, uh, from going near the ledges by the, the water. And that's just a safety mm-hmm. issue. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, this this segment yeah it was sort of interesting how it was just like uh, as as you've described it's a the employees are going to get to the bottom of uh, <laughs> the the mm-hmm. exact nature of this ghost business yeah so um, would you like an update I an <laughs> update what okay throw 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 it at me Crystal well now. Immediately when I saw this restaurant come on Unsolved Mysteries, it triggered a memory of mine that I had definitely seen it in an episode of Ghost Hunters. And one of the things that stuck out in my mind and the reason that I remembered this particular episode of Ghost Hunters and this restaurant is that the ownership of the restaurant without telling Ghost Hunters to come out before they came out to investigate these hauntings. Mm-hmm. Is that the restaurant has been rigged up by a former employee of Disneyland. Okay. 
who works on special effects. So there's a number of things in the restaurant, such as there's a rig above the bar lamps that will cause them to swing if activated. There's huh. a phone that will ring at random. There is a, uh, if you go into the men's or women's room behind the mirror, it's rigged up to have like this ghostly face appear. Whoa. Um, there's a number of other sound effects machines throughout the restaurant to cause it sound okay. like creaking or walking, things like that. Um, so the other thing is I did a little more research. None of these ghost sightings, none of them. I mean, this place has been open consistently since the 1920s. It's open today. You can go have dinner at the Moss Beach Distillery. It's it yeah. survived COVID, okay? It's been open for 100 years, yet the only records of any ghost sightings or anything spooky happening started when some new owners bought the place in 1981. And that's when mm. all the legends started coming up. Because before then, and all the, you know, all the, what is that, almost 60 years before, yeah. there were no reports of hauntings. There was no reports of anything creepy. So basically in the 80s, it's there's different owners now, and I'm sure there's different owners than there were during that Ghost Hunters episode, but basically they tried to hoodwink Ghost Hunters. Sylvia Brown has been debunked all over the place. I mean, if the employees of the restaurant could go down to the San Mateo Vital Statistics Department, certainly Sylvia Brown's assistant could go down there so she could do a hot reading of the no. restaurant. That, that's always my thought with uh, with this things when they bring the psychic in they're like oh this and that and the and it was like they just they just did the research beforehand yeah it's a hot reading yeah. it's completely what it is yeah so while there is in fact no real update that the episode gives us I was so annoyed when I was watching this segment because basically this fucking restaurant got a 30 minute unsolved mysteries ad. And they're actually like hoodwinking people with all these little devices and pranks you know, in their restaurant. Oh man, that's uh, that's so disappointing to hear. I didn't even realize Doesn't that, suck? that shit. Doesn't yeah. that totally suck? Yeah. Well, like I have so to lame. admit, I have to admit at the very beginning uh, when Stacks introducing the segment, I kind of feel like. He's trying to warn the viewer, viewer of that very thing because he says something like, I've been here all day and I haven't seen any ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, other than so, that, how was the uh, segment, Crystal? <laughs> I was just I was so irritated because it's like. You know, I, you know, if it takes an episode of Ghost Hunters to be like, this is bullshit, <laughs> already mm -hmm. your case isn't great. Do you know what I'm saying? Thank you to God. Yes, that's so, such a sad commentary. Ghost, hunt, ghost Hunters, the. Yeah, the, Ghost Hunters the, showed up and was like, no, no, what is this? Come on, we're leaving. They like packed up and left. They were like, you weren't honest with us and we're leaving. Like, they called bullshit whoa. on it. Oh. So. Yeah, it wasn't the, cool. It wasn't cool. Um, but all that said, Robbie, listen, we have another ghost segment. And this one I don't have any shit to say about at all. Uh, yes, I'll take I'll take the lead on this one as it involves Civil War era ghosts. Um 
Yeah, it starts out with a couple of still images of the Civil War, some um, um, MD, uh, MIDI file Civil War music. Some MIDI music? MIDI music. Um, yeah. And a little uh, brief intro by Stack about, like, oh, the American Civil War started on the firing of Fort Sumter. And then it gets to, like, talking about, like, um, uh, California's part in the Civil War. And that's when we get introduced to the drum barracks. Um, and they have uh, they start out with a little reenactment of men in Civil War uniforms walking all around the courtyard and... Uh, Doing Civil War-like things. Included with that is a sort of pan across several beds with different uh, Civil War soldiers cleaning, cleaning and polishing their their muskets. The for the most part, the, the uniforms and all the stuff they have uh, looks pretty good from my perspective. Um, there's not anything I'm, I'm going to call Farabon, uh, except there's potentially, there's an issue, because, like, when they start with the, when it panning across those beds with the people cleaning their, their rifles, mm-hmm. one of them is, uh, in a cavalry uniform, he's got gold trim, okay. uh, mm-hmm. and his kepi has cross sabers on it, which, uh, is indicative of the cavalry. Uh, mm-hmm. But he is cleaning a three-band rifled musket, which is not typically mm-hmm. a weapon that a cavalry mm-hmm. cavalry man would 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 have. Uh, so did thing, unsolved mysteries fuck up? <laughs> potentially. Uh, okay. Though, I mean, well, the thing is, is if if that was the worst fuck, uh, uh, if if that's the worst fuck up they've had in this segment, they did. They did it comparatively okay, because it it would be real easy to just throw, like, a total mismatch of, like, uniforms on, and, you know, let's do, have some guys stand over here and whatnot, and uh, for the most part, they must have had someone who was at least, um, maybe someone who was working for the museum, I don't know, uh, on hand to be like, uh, okay, they need to be dressed like this and that and so forth. But yeah, like, cause if you're a cavalry man, you're not gonna carry a, a, a three band rifle. Uh, Absolutely not. That'd be ridiculous. Why would you do right. that? Yeah, I mean, ludicrous. <laughs> precisely. I mean, just because mm-hmm. it'd be so impractical to uh, to load that thing while you're riding a horse. I mean, if um, if you're gonna have any sort of if you're going to have any sort of muzzle loading weapon at all, it would at most be a two band rifle. And even then, I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're, you're, if you're cavalry, you're mostly going to be dealing with, you know, you're going to have a saber. um, Mm -hmm. A pistol is, is more, Mm -hmm. more appropriate or, you Mm -hmm. know, perhaps you might be fortunate enough to have a, like a carbine with like, case cartridge uh, cartridges instead of paper that you can just like slam in there and fire and extract um but other than that uh my civil war costume grade uh overall i i, I give it an a this is like a fantastic do you want to talk about ghosts 
Oh, <laughs> sorry. We we got uh, this was not this was not costume cast. Uh, uh, I, no, it, it, well, it is a little bit. Yeah. It is a little bit costume cast, but it's but, uh, it's a lot more. Um, yes, haunted haunted uh, military outpost cast. So yeah, so this uh, the Strum Barracks. It's now a museum. Um, yes, they do a reenactment. Of the museum director coming into the museum before it had been re refurbished and reopened to sort mm-hmm. of, you know, give the idea like she's describing like, oh, when I first came in, it had been so long since anyone had been in there. But I mean, it is clearly they're having her just walk in through the back door in what is clearly the refurbished modern day museum. And they've just sort of changed the lighting a little bit. To- mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and she's like, you can tell she's trying to act like, like, oh, it's been, I'm, I'm walking in this hallway I've never been in before. <laughs> I got a good little chuckle out of that. But yes, um, the, the employees, they start relate uh, in the various interviews. They talk about like oh, a lot of spooky stuff goes on. Like I'll pull down a curtain and then later it will have been pulled back up. Or, uh, you know, I, uh, I will turned off a light and then at some point, like the next day I come by and the lights on. Uh, yeah. Which, Stuff like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which, so, I, so, so at first I'm like, eh, that's kind of, that's kind of the sort of thing that anyone, I, I mean, those have easily human explained explanations, yeah. especially if you got multiple people working out of this museum you know, yeah. there's always there's always gonna be that one employee who never really follows the closeout procedures <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, or I mean, yeah. all of us are like, you know, are we sure we lock the door? Are you sure you turn the oven off? Like, we're full of human errors, all of us. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this isn't Precisely. what I would call compelling evidence of haunting. <laughs> no, but then they start talking about other stuff, like, um, mm-hmm. sh- uh. The like the I think it was the museum director. She talks about you know she'll hear hear some sounds, and she'll get up and she'll go looking around. And it's interesting they she she describes most of them as stuff like what you'd normally hear like wind up against a window or whatever. Um, but they did they put a little drop of uh like this rhythmic sound like something being thrown against the door, and mm-hmm. I was like ah oh. as I watched the segment I was like ah oh, that's a really it was really clever. They sort of um, they set up for later when the the psychic comes it by. She sees a little ghost kid throwing a ball against a, a hallway uh, wall. It's like, oh, if you're uh, mm-hmm. if you're paying attention to the continuity of the segment, that's quite <laughs> that's quite a rewarding little payoff. Um, and then like some like one of the caretakers. He's he's working on a day the museum's closed, and he hears some sounds downstairs. He goes and he you know he looks down, and it looks like there's this interesting thing with the stairs in this museum, where there's like there's two stairways with a wall, or, or rather maybe one stairway with a wall that bisects them. Did you catch that? No. That's sort I didn't. Of, oh, okay, because you know he you know he goes out of the the room upstairs that he was like hammering nails into something or whatever and he looks down the stairway right and he sees like the mm-hmm. door like coming you know uh swinging close down down at the bottom of the stairs and he just walks a little bit more 
and now he's seen the other like there's a parallel st- thing of stairs on the other side of the wall where that it, where he can see where that door would go down to. It's um very strange. I I recommend you just quickly look at that in the segment again after we're done recording. It was a strange mm-hmm. architectural quirk, but yeah. Anyway, he goes downstairs, tries to find. You know, he's like, oh, someone's hiding in the museum uh, uh, in the gift shop, but there's no one in the gift shop. And then he like he said he, he, you know, he went into the bathroom and he was expecting like kind of, I guess, expecting someone to jump out at him. But there was no one there. And he's like, oh, I guess I believe in ghosts now. (laughs) And then we get. That's how it be sometimes, though. You know, you're just doing something and then you start believing in ghosts. Yeah, I guess that that would be (laughs) sort of set up. Uh, in most cases, wouldn't it? And so then we start getting into like the more heavy stuff of people recounting seeing ghosts or mm-hmm. or people in costume because they talk about the one exterminator who works for the city who came by and he was busy underneath the cabinets uh, when he heard someone say, I, I'm, I've, I've come down for some water. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then he turns mm-hmm. and he sees this there, there, there was definitely uh, a discontinuity between what he was saying and what they were portraying because he's like, I saw a guy in Civil War costume and then he left the room and he talks about how he talked with the uh, museum staff afterwards and was just like, wow, you, you know, your caretaker, he's really into the job. So obviously indicating he just thought it was the caretaker in costume. Um, but in the reenactment... They have a clearly transparent ghost holding a water bucket who then like mm-hmm. walks out of the room and disappears as he's walking out of the room. Um, yeah, a little bit of divergence between what we're told and what we, what we see, but you know, fine, wh- whatever. And so then they just eventually bring in the psychic, uh, Barb. She comes in and like immediately in her interview, she's she she she's very she's very very forceful in saying she doesn't refer to them as ghosts. Mm-hmm. She doesn't refer to it as a haunting. Mm-mm. She refers to them as spirits. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. is that is there really that big a tax and like like terminological difference between ghosts and spirits? Because to me, they kind of imply the same thing. I get well. Hmm. I get, I mean, I, I get, I get like distinguishing between like a ghost and a poltergeist or, mm-hmm. you know, like you're trying to, dis- you're trying to distinguish between phenomenon like this, right. this is, whereas her, this, like, it feels more like it's a value, like she's treating it like a value judgment, like uh, mm-hmm. it's a. It's a little inappropriate to be calling them ghosts. Spirits is a much nicer yeah. word. It's like, I well, mean. You're... Maybe Barbara's just a stickler for pronouns, you know? Yeah. They, them. <laughs> or uh, Anyway. Um, so they have like little reenactment of like, she's going around with, the, I think the museum director. And she's, they're just having little little reenactments of her seeing ghosts everywhere so we like i say we see the ghost kid in the hallway playing with the ball uh we see 
They walk into one room and the sky is, you know, there's several people in the room. A couple of them are play, playing cards. Uh, one, one of them is in a chair and he's like, move this chair closer to the fire. I'm cold. And I'm just, you know, and as soon as like that happened, I thought to myself, why doesn't he just move the chair? These ghosts have been implied that like, they're quite capable of manipulating physical objects. Why does mm-hmm. he need them to move the chair when he can move everything else in the museum other than the chair? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, uh, I mean, these, these, <laughs> that, that, that logical problem aside, these are fun little v- vignettes. Um, you know, she, they go into another room and some men are gathered around a map. A bunch of officers are gathered around a map. And for some reason, there's a, a an enlisted man cleaning and polishing a rifle right next to them, which mm-hmm. seems like I don't I don't know what he what he's doing there uh, other than like whoever set set up the shot was like, you know, it would be cool. Let's put it. Let's put a, you know one of those guys and have him cleaning a rifle, too. Um, but like the colonel, he goes he goes over to a cardboard box uh, and he's like looking through it. And the psychic's talking about, like, he wants this reward. He wants this reward. Because yeah, I guess the, the, the real colonel received some sort of, uh, you know, like, commendation or whatever. Uh, but it kind of, it's a bit strange. Because, like, they show the ghost, like, I mean, the, the cardboard box is real. It's, it's in the present. Mm-hmm. And the ghost is reaching in, and he's pulling out stuff from the box, and mm-hmm. and like, and I was like, is he pulling out real things from the box? And you know, like, shouldn't the museum director be able to see that that's happening, or is he pulling out like ghost things from the box? <laughs> I tried. I actually tried rewinding rewinding the segment a couple of times to like look closer. To try to like t- mm-hmm. if, see if I could tell whether like they, they were material or immaterial, but I couldn't quite tell. Well, that's the magic of of unsolved mysteries, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Um, you know, they- Robbie, I I didn't check to see if this museum is still open, um, but I do live close to this. Sort of, it's in L.A. Um, so, listen. So I- it's there. It, it's it's still there. It's yeah. Um, and okay. I believe it's one of the few. Um, I mean, it's closed because of COVID right now. But like, I believe it's one of the few. Um, it's the one of the few Civil War era or Civil War thingies. Civil War things. In yeah, th- things. Is, is, oh, okay. Is that right? Because there because this is the barracks they were using to get people ready, the California volunteers ready to go fight in the war. Ah, in yes, the east, okay. and so this is where so. they were doing the processing and the training and stuff. But like, we don't have a lot of Civil War thingies. No, in California. <laughs> no, I mean there's there's this, and if if you live in San Francisco, um. Mm-hmm. There's there's actually a number of little th- like Alcatraz started out as a military complex and um, mm-hmm. uh, Angel Island 
And of course, uh, if you're if you're under if if you're underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, there's there's Fort mm. Point, which is a fun little place to to look around. Um, mm. other than that, uh, yeah. Uh, so, are you suggesting that when I come down there again, presumably mm-hmm. in sometime in twenty twenty two? Sure, or twenty twenty one. I I mean, uh, it feels good, man. I feel good about 2021. We can okay. do it. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, we could definitely head down to Wilmington. It's down by the beach and yeah. get some good sandwiches. Uh, my treat. To... <laughs> 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 um, hey, speaking of my treat, um, let's buy some babies. <laughs> 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 yes, because uh, after two ghost segments, we also got uh, we, we we've got yet another bu- baby buying segment. <laughs> yeah, they're just you know. Here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. QAnon traffic child trafficking is real. It's just not Hillary Clinton doing it. It's people like Ethel Nation, a nurse in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, and this this is interesting because this is like. It's more of a 1960s uh, setting. Mm-hmm. So far, yeah. most of the ki- most of the kids selling business we've we've come across has mostly been a, a Great Depression sort of right. era thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is moving now into the time of the unwed mother home uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so he- so here's the deal. The first person. Um, we're talking to here is this woman named Dylene and she had had a baby in 1960 cause she was, she was like, an, uh, she was 18 or something and she didn't have anybody and she was alone. So, uh, she was taken in by, by Ethel. And so in 1960, uh, Dylene has a daughter, um, who Ethel basically just took away immediately and mm-hmm. sold the baby. Um, and then Ethel denied having anything to do with the disappearance uh, but then Dylene comes back and like breaks into Ethel's house. I'm really unclear why Dylene eight years later was back in Ethel's house <laughs> running right. around, but she finds a picture of her daughter. And so, um, and I actually remember this episode of the Oprah show. I'm not kidding. I remember what? this because yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, this footage looks familiar. These people look familiar. Dylene, it was actually um, reunited in the uh, 80s with her daughter on the Oprah show. So, ah. yeah, so that's so that's kind of like, you know, using a more famous show to launch into the next kind of two stories. So un- right. unfortunately, you know, Ethel uh, we kind of had a little business of this going on. And so then there's this other fellow, Scott Murr's. Um, who goes looking for his real parents. He knew he was adopted um, and his his parents basically came clean with him and said, you know, we were desperate and we went and b- bought you, I guess. Like, I don't even know what to, what would you do with that information? Because this other woman, Donette Barker, who, who ends up being friends with Scott as they look for their birth families, um, who Donette had also been sold, well, rather she was bartered for, yeah, <laughs> because her parents, her parents went to see Ethel, and they thought they were just going to do like some baby browsing. And Ethel was like, "Yo, you can just have this baby," 
You can just have right out the door. $1,700 out the door. You can take this baby home tonight. And then the parents were kind of like, well, we didn't really think we were taking a baby home tonight. So we don't have $1,700 on us. And then Ethel was like, the fuck's the matter with you? I told you a baby's going to be $1,700. And then, you know, she like threatens to break all their teeth. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a boat. Do you want a boat? And then a boat, you like, say? Yeah, Ethel's like, yeah, I'll take your boat. You can have this baby. And so, like, I what hate- would you do with that information as Donette when your parents or you find out that your parents who raised you <laughs> traded a boat for you? Well, you know, that, well, that, infor- like, my sort of take on that is receiving that sort of information however you feel about it it's got to be better than if you found out that the reverse was the case that your that your parents traded you for a boat yeah <laughs> that would be much worse right <laughs> yeah i guess that would be worse yeah but but that that is that is <laughs> traded yeah for a boat. I, I mean it is sort of strange like i mean it'd be strange i mean yeah, you, if you found out like, oh, my parents paid paid like twenty thousand for me, it's like, oh wow. I mean, I guess yeah. like, I mean, a boat's really expensive, so I mean, it, it just it feel kind of weird because it's like, wow, the woman accepted in kind rather than just cash. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> Well, she's basically running a pawn shop for babies at this point, I guess. <laughs> I'll give you so, $10 for it. <laughs> anyway, back to Scott Murs. Um, he, uh, once he became 18, him he set off on this journey. He start, started looking for Ethel and the truth with his mother, Mary, because, you know, presumably Ethel lied to the adoptive parents as well. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Even though it was sketchy as hell, I don't know that these parents were really clued in on that these babies had basically been stolen right out of their mother's arms. And um, so I guess Scott and Mary Murs visited Ethel while she was still alive a total of six times. And each time she keeps changing the story and all this stuff. And they keep calling, you know, they keep following these leads about, like, what clinic was he born in and who was his birth mother. And they're trying to, like, figure all this stuff out. And she keeps giving the giving these like made up answers Mm -hmm. um except scott um has a dream about (laughs) being alone in a hospital or something and then finally when we go to they get to the woodlawn clinic he realized that that was the same place he had had in his dream and so he thinks that's where he was born but scott and mary murs have yet to find his birth mother um Mm -hmm. and so donette is the boat baby and there's a really crazy scene where donette uh, you know, she finds out her her real mother's name is Gloria Cantu, Cantu, and um, that her illegal adoption papers had been notarized by Ethel, and so Donette goes to visit Ethel, um, you know, and basically Ethel's whole thing is like, oh, your your mothers were whores and they wanted to abort you, but it was too late because they were just too pregnant and they're so dumb and ugly and whores that and that's Donut's like go to re- deflection for anytime yeah. anyone yeah yeah and so donette was like that's really upsetting obviously 
Um, so, uh, you know, the segment ends basically giving out some details about where they think Scott and Donette were b- actually born and what their parents' names might have been. Um, the only update we get is about Donette. And um, several viewers confirmed that there was a Gloria Canty Martinez in San Antonio, Texas, where all this was going going down. And that um, Gloria had never wanted to give up Donette for adoption. Um, and so then the two were reunited and that's the update we get is that, uh, Gloria comes to visit Donette and, um, yeah, that's that. There's yeah. no thing for Scott though. Sorry. There's no update for Scott. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. That. Yeah. But Ethel Nations is a real bitch. God, I hate her so much. Yeah, it's... um. And then to, like, justify her baby stealing, she's just like, your mothers were all whores, and they wanted to abort you, but it was too late. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, it's... Jeez. I mean, just... Yeah. She she makes a good villain. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting sort of, de- like, depiction of the... I mean, like like we said, this was the 1960s, and so it's a lot more... Like she, she's trying to, she's having to find these, these, these women in difficult situations so he can, she can like swoop away with their kids, um, uh, you know, manip- manipulate them to, like to, to get, you know, give away their kids or, you know, whatever. And it's such a contrast from like, compared to like 30 years previously where we've seen this show depict like basically people can just drive up to some kids along the side of the road like okay kids come on get in we're gonna go all right now we're gonna go sell you off your parents don't have any legal recourse (laughs) yeah your parents are too poor to fight me so yeah this is a lot more just like cruel i don't know how it could be more cruel than that but this is very cruel Right, she's she's kidnapping the kids, and when the, she gets called out on stuff, she, she's just like, "Damn!" She's just saying like the meanest shit that she can think of. She doesn't yeah. seem, yeah, she just seems like a mean woman. I just want to punch her so badly. Yeah, um, uh, well, rest in piss, Ethel Nations. How about that? Nah, good. Um, It'll have to do. <laughs> Um, hey, Robbie, do you remember what the last segment of this episode was about? Do you have any recollection about what it might, what it might be? I'm having a hard time. Um, I, I don't know. Let me, let me take a look at at what's in my wallet. Um, Hmm. do you you see anything that might be a clue as to what the last segment? There's some pictures. Uh, looks like. Look like there's a there's a piece of paper with some what I presume is my handwriting on it. Okay. Uh, and um, yeah, no, I I I have I have no idea what this segment's about. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, um, let's if you see. know what this there's... segment was about, please call in so so we can find out. <laughs> because <laughs> i can't go on living not knowing <laughs> robbie uh, do you think this segment might have started at a bus station in texas <laughs> actually it did start in a bus station in texas oh, okay great where a woman fainted and woke up in a hospital 
And she had no idea who she was or what happened. That's right. We got an amnesia segment. And it's kind of interesting how they intro this because uh, long time and short time listeners of the pod will remember a few episodes ago we had Pierre Apri. April? Yeah, Pierre April. And he he had amnesia as well. And he could draw really okay. He could draw really okay. Um, and he played a guitar. Yeah. He was in San Diego. But yeah. he was French. But actually, he was Fr- French Canadian. French Canadian. Um, yeah. So, like, the, the segment sort of starts out with, like, a quasi update on that. Which I feel like, didn't we already have an update on Pierre's case? Yeah, it was uh, the same yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they, this sort of start, you know, they sort of recycle the update for Pierre's case. And then Robert Stack's like, uh, when we aired that case, we got contacted by some uh, by some police in Richardson, Texas, or, you know, wherever. It's like, and they, they had a, another person who couldn't remember who she was or or whatnot. So here's her thing. And uh, it's it's very quick. I mean, this this there really isn't a reenactment to this. It's just a brief um, mm-hmm. sort, sort of interview. Like uh, this woman, she, I mean, she had uh, some pictures, like one of her in a wedding dress, uh, a picture of a couple of kids. I think like her, her luggage had a name, uh, had the name Linda Kennedy on it, but she was like, mm. yeah, that looks like my handwriting, I think, but I don't think that's my name. And so, you know, they're trying to, trying to figure out who she is. Um, and that's, that's, that's basically all there is to the segment itself until we get the update. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, we and then we very quickly get an update, and they're like, "Oh, as soon as this you know uh, uh, this thing aired, her sister saw her on the broadcast. Turned out her name is Carol Ann Rozak, and mm-hmm. she is also from Canada." Yeah, uh, um, Robbie, do you think that there was in the nineties there was some? reason that Canadians were coming down to the United States and then becoming amnesiatics, amnesia, amnesia people. I, Um, it's interesting that both these cases involve, you know, a similar scenario. mm -hmm. Um, I, I have to admit like so far with every amnesia case, especially well, especially since we had that amnesia case where the guy turned out he was wanted for stealing an entire cargo load of frozen mm-hmm. food. That That's I naturally right. yes, yeah. That naturally with every amnesia case, I just sort of start out looking at them like, is this person faking it? Like, right, because this, the last two, the one with Pierre and this one, there wasn't like a medical explanation. We had one before where a woman actually had a brain aneurysm. Right. And yeah. that that had some like, there were doctors in that one to explain what had happened. Yeah. But this is right. like, they don't even, she just fainted. I don't know, maybe she had a mini stroke or aneurysm or something. Yeah, um, they, they don't ex- bother to explain yeah. it. And it kind of just leaves me with this feeling that either these people are, sh- these Canadians are straight scamming, right? Right. Or 
like anyone can become amnesic at any time. And then that's kind of terrifying. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of how you thought like quicksand was going to be more of a thing. Right. Right. Like amnesia, you think it's more of a thing because it seems to be happening randomly to a lot of people. Yeah, it's I haven't had any personal encounters with quicksand, despite seeing it depicted on literally every form of media as a kid. Mm-hmm. What What's yeah. your favorite? And you live in the desert, also, and in, like, and to with, never encounter quicksand, it just yeah, it's not a real thing. Yeah, uh, what's your What's your favorite depiction of quicksand in a movie? Oh man, I gotta. I mean, the one that makes me. Th- um, the one that comes to mind immediately is the one in The Princess Bride. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Where um, Buttercup just goes straight down into yeah. a thing of sand. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a solid pick. I uh, I can see why. That's the one I that's the one I think of when you say quicksand. That's the one I think of. What about you? Okay. <laughs> Mine is, uh, you know, the movie Pure Luck with Danny Glover and Martin Short. Um, absolutely not. But please tell me about it. <laughs> OK. Uh, gosh. All right. I guess uh, I guess we'll be spending the last two or three minutes of this podcast with me quickly summarizing this film and the quicksand scene in it. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the film, uh, this woman, this daughter of some really rich guy disappears in Mexico and she she was like a, someone who was like just very unlucky so this like this guy he, he uh that works for the the rich man was like look what we need to do she she suffers from this thing where just bad stuff happens to her all the time we got this guy mm-hmm. who works for for us martin short bad stuff happens to him all the time so we'll just send him down there with that detective you hired played by danny glover uh and like the same like Bad stuff will happen to him, and it will sort of lead. He'll be led down the exact same path that will lead to to your daughter, or whatever. I mean that that's sort of the reason why, uh, uh, the premise of the, the film, and so just you know, like Martin Church just plays this character that like just like anything that can go wrong does go wrong uh, with him, and so there's a scene where him and Danny Glover they're they're they uh, they're in Mexico. I think they're their plane crashed or their car broke down or whatever. And they're, they're just sort of traveling to get to the next road. And, uh, Martin short starts sinking and, and, uh, sinking. And Danny Glover's like, what's going on? And Martin short's like, I'm sinking in quicksand and da da da. And, and Danny Glover says, there's no quicksand in Mexico. And Martin short does this perfect line delivery where, mm-hmm. yeah, of, of a sort of tongue in cheek, sarcastic, like, well, congratulate me because I just found some. <laughs> um, it's uh, you have <laughs> having if, not seen the movie. I saw that. I saw that scene. The way you set it up, I saw it perfectly with Martin Short. <laughs> right. Really right. Thank you. Thank you. I will. Uh, I'll have. We'll have to. We'll have to do. We'll have to do a. We'll have to watch that at some point. Or oh something. yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. I'm I'm shocked oh, I haven't seen it. I would oh, it's love fan- that. Yeah, it's 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 one of those like um, ones that just sort of you know it, it, it wasn't a big hit and it just sort of fell through the cracks. But it it is like mm-hmm. 
it is one of, for me, it's one of the most memorable movies I've ever seen because it's just, yeah. So, okay. Anyway, the people, this is not a, a pure luck uh, podcast. It is an unsolved <laughs> mysteries podcast, and I guess yeah, <laughs> yeah. So check if us we're out going with that, right? <laughs> check us out at Twitter at Reenacted Pod. Uh, send us emails at reenactedpod at gmail dot com. Um, Facebook, just look for us on there. Uh, mm-hmm. Give give us five stars, please. Five stars. T- tell all your friends. Yeah. To give us five stars as well, uh, just yes. just and change, reorient mm-hmm. your all your whole life around getting us as many five star reviews as possible. Yeah, you know who you are that <laughs> need to do that. Yes. Also, we have the Patreon, and that's been kind of fallow a little bit. But if you're a if you are on our Patreon, you know, you may have heard this episode too. Wait a minute, you may have heard the episode before last two weeks before we dropped it on the regular feed <laughs> sorry i just had a time travel in my mind a little bit yeah that's fine um that's fine. you know from time to time we do an early release on the patreon um and you know we throw some other stuff up there and it's it's very uh much like npr is a very cheap way to keep this little ship afloat and so we can pay our producer and you know promote this thing um robbie do you want to do the thing that you often do at the end of this? Um, I guess I do want to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Wink. I so- Wink. Uh, you can't hear it, but I'm I'm nodding, nodding, trying to okay. trying, trying trying to look like I, you know, I uh-huh. know what's going on. Um, okay. So there's uh, oh. a thing. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Join me next week. Perhaps you may be able to solve a mystery. 